Greetings and welcome to Word Magazine. This is Jeff Riddle. I'm the pastor of Christ Reformed Baptist Church in Louisa, Virginia. And in this episode, I'm going to be doing a sermon review, a review of a sermon that was preached, I think about seven years ago, by a fellow named Yankee Arnold, who looks like to be an independent uh, fundamental Baptist uh, pastor and evangelist, itinerant speaker. And the talk that he gave was on the so-called five dangers of Calvinism. And I'm going to do this review because I have a man in my church who's attending our church, not a member, but he's coming out of the last church he attended was an independent uh, fundamental church. And then one of his family members heard that he was coming to our Reformed Baptist Church and shared with him this uh, anti-Calvinistic video. And he was asking for my opinion on it. And I thought, well, maybe it will be helpful for him if I just did this review of this message. And there might be other people uh, for whom it would be helpful. And I got to tell you, I listened initially to the first 10 or 15 minutes of this. Um, I have not listened all the way to the end. And so my review is going to be very much extempore. I don't have any notes I'm just going to listen, and I got my I got my open Bible in front of me, and I've got a notepad. I'm going to take notes. I'm not even sure what he defines as the so-called five dangers of Calvinism. I don't want to be unfair to him. I don't want to misrepresent him. Um, but anyways, I thought it might be interesting, and because the message is about 50 minutes in length, and if I start and stop it, um, it's going to be a, a long series. So this is probably going to be the first of a couple of these episodes that will offer a review of Yankee Arnold's sermon, The Five Dangers of Calvinism. And so with that, let me see if I can share the screen with you, and we'll see if we can take a closer look at this um, sermon, if we can. And so uh, here is uh, the sermon that, as it appears on YouTube, The Five Dangers of Calvinism. Uh, it comes from Yankee Arnold Ministries. And I thought that I saw somewhere on here. Yeah, there's his, there's a, a website there that tells you about Yankee Arnold Ministries. Um, let's look at the bio section. Um, meet Dr. Ralph Yankee Arnold. So Ralph is his given name and Yankee's a um, nickname. And so it says he became a Christian at the age of 18. Uh, he went to Tennessee Temple. Uh, he uh, founded and pastored a church uh, in Colorado, Colorado Bible Church. Um, worked with a youth ministry called Christian Youth Ranch. Um, and he pastored Northside Baptist Church in Athens, Georgia, uh, for 17 years. And, and now apparently, uh, looks like he, at least up to 2020, this hasn't been updated since then. Uh, he was the pastor of Calvary Community Church of Tampa and serves as president of the Florida Bible College of Tampa. So that's a little bit of, of the background about um, Pastor Arnold. And so uh, let's go ahead and see if we can begin. Now, I also want to say that I set the playback at a 1.25 speed. 
So it's it's going to be a little bit faster coming back than it is. And I um, hope that's uh, going to be okay. This will help us get through more of the material more quickly. I tried 1.5, but that was just too fast, I think. So let's go ahead and get started and we'll listen and I'll stop uh, from time to time and make some observations uh, on the five dangers of Calvinism. Here we go. Oops. Well, let's see if it'll play. Here we go. Bible Line Broadcast Network, Calvary Community Church. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, it's right after the book of Galatians, which is right after... Turn the volume up a little bit. Y'all never get that. Which is right after one Corinthians. Let me just let me just say um, some some listeners may not be familiar with, I think, what is typical of a lot of uh, low church, fundamental Baptist church, where there's kind of a um, humor, laughing saying things out loud. And, you know, I, I, when I listened to a little bit of this, I thought, you know, um, I, I'm also guilty of that sometimes too. But anyways, I personally don't like, uh, you know, flippancy. And I think it just takes away from the reverence uh, of a service. But anyways, this is sort of typical of this um, kind of um, folksy, informal style uh, that that is found in many evangelical churches and, and also in many uh, fundamentalistic churches. Ephesians in chapter 1. Look there in verse 4. Ephesians 1. As he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, I'm reading that verse because there's some people who take these verses out of context. They give it a different meaning than what's really there. And okay, let's pause right here. So he's given us as the text for this sermon, the five dangers of Calvinism, Ephesians uh, 1, 4. Um, and uh, it says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And then he went ahead and read verse five, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And he said, the problem is that Calvinists do not read this verse in its proper context. And so now I'm excited. I want to hear what what is your exegesis of this passage? Can you can you tell me? I mean, what does it mean when Paul said that that God hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world? So that's not a reference to our election to salvation or before the foundation of the world. Um and and what does it mean when Paul says, having predestinated us? What does the term predestination mean? 
how does this how does this relate to what Paul teaches in what we call the golden chain of redemption in uh, Romans chapter eight, uh, verses um, 29 and 30, uh, wherein uh, Paul says, before whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So there in Romans 8, 29 and 30, it talks about God's foreknowledge, God's predestinating those who would be saved. If somebody ever asks you, do you believe in predestination? The, the proper answer is, do you believe in the Bible? Because predestination is a biblical teaching. It's not a humanistic, man-made teaching. It's a biblical teaching. And you must have some understanding of what that means. Um, the, the, the term in Greek means to foreordain, to predestine, uh, uh, to decree beforehand. Uh, so this is the root of election. I'm excited. I want to hear the exegesis of Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 that will give me an alternative interpretation of these verses. Oops. And some of those people have a name. They are called Calvinists. And so I want to explain some things to you why I believe there are five dangers of Calvinism that is taught. And if you don't know what it is, you will wind up believing the poison and not even know that it's there. At least if I tell you, you may have an understanding and some discernment that if you listen to the radio, the TV, or even go to another church, you'll be able to discern this because this is so important. Now look there in Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9. Okay, great. I don't want to drink poison, and um, I do want to have discernment. And so tell me about Ephesians 1, 4, how I should interpret it differently than what it seems like Paul is saying in a, um, a straightforward manner. And he read this. I hope he's going to come back to it. Um, but now he's going to take us to a, a different passage also within Ephesians. And so let, let's continue to listen. These are two of my favorite verses in the Bible. But it says here in Ephesians in chapter 2, in verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a very simple, straightforward verse. You would get the impression that you're saved by faith alone. But there are people who will take that word and say, faith is the gift. And you can't be saved unless God gives you the faith to believe. So it's, a, once again, changing the meaning of a verse. Just like in verse. Okay, let's pause here for a moment. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. But he just said it's, it's that, that faith is not a gift of God. But isn't that what Paul just said, that the grace of our salvation through the means of faith that is not of ourselves, that this is the gift of God? Uh, so we didn't earn it. God gave us this salvation by grace through faith. Now, it, it, I'm again, can't wait to hear the exegesis. Now we've got two passages that we need to hear more exegesis of, Ephesians 
chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And I'm wondering, while he's at it, will we also get an, uh, an exegetical treatment of Ephesians 2, 1? For you, Paul writing to the Ephesian believers, for and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. There were people who were spiritually dead, but who had been made alive in Christ. So I'm, I, I want to hear this as well. But anyways, uh, let's see what um, Pastor Arnold has to say. When he talked about chosen us before the foundations of the world, and they forget there's a couple other words there that give it a totally different meaning. Now take your Bible look and What are the couple of other words that give a totally different meaning of Ephesians 1.4? How else do you interpret that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, what are the couple of other words in there that change the meaning of that from a plain sense reading? Let's continue. Thessalonians. Does anybody know why I'm saying that? Raise your hand. Let me see if you know why I'm saying that. So that shows you that if you don't know why I'm saying that, then you haven't been watching the news lately. In other words, Donald Trump has been saying this at Liberty university when he spoke and he quoted a verse from the book of two corinthians and so um you and i would say you know second corinthians or second thessalonians <clears throat> so i think we'll just go with that okay second thessalonians in chapter two look at verse 13 but as we are bound to give thanks always to god for you brethren beloved of the lord because god hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit belief of the truth they will teach that god has chosen before the foundations of the world who he was going to save. And the choice is not really yours. It's not mine. It was God's choice. So God chose to save who he wants to save. And the rest of them cannot be saved because God did not choose them. So therefore, they are the chosen or the elect of God. So, okay. Philippians 2.13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. And um, again, he's read another passage that is also about election, the doctrine of election, God's choosing those who would be saved. Um, and he's again telling us that Calvinists improperly interpret and understand these verses but as yet, we've not really had much exegesis. We've had the reading of the passage and sort of statements based on his personal authority, I guess, that, that these verses are misunderstood by Calvinists. But he hasn't told us why. He hasn't given us a rational argument as to why we are supposedly misreading these verses. Does it affect anything? It affects everything. And I want you to, to see this. So right there in your notes... In your notes, one of the things that I want you to understand, some of the things. I don't have the notes, so we're just going to have to try to pick them up as we go. Because it doesn't apply to all. It's with limitations. Therefore, but when it gets to the point of perseverance of the saints, it's the perseverance immediately requires fruit inspectors. Okay, now he's, he, he's jumped now. We, we've never really... 
gotten any exegesis of Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, or of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, or of 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. But now we've jumped to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And he says, if you teach the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that this requires what he calls fruit inspectors. Because perseverance, if it's true, must be from the day you trust the Lord to the day you die. You must persevere in the faith. So there is a teaching. So my question is, is he going to deny the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that those whom God saves, he, by his own power, keeps in the faith? Let's see what he says. That says, well, if you are saved, you must live like you're saved. And if you don't live it, then you don't have it. And so they teach that very strongly. So then if there has to So he's saying that, that Calvinists supposedly teach that if you are converted, that there ought to be genuine signs and evidence of your conversion. And he hasn't gotten to this yet. We haven't gotten the exegesis for why we interpret supposedly Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 incorrectly. But I wonder what Pastor Arnold would say about Ephesians 2, 10, a verse he didn't read. After it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that out of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, that Paul then says, for we, meaning believers, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, remember, he's already said that salvation is by grace, not of ourselves, not by works. But he then says the person who is converted, they are God's workmanship and they are created. Uh, they experience the, the rebirth, the new birth, so that they might uh, do that which is pleasing in God's sight. Certainly they're not going to do that perfectly. They have remaining corruptions within them. But uh, somehow he's going, he's going to say, that there can't be any expectation of any change. You can be cha you can be converted, but there doesn't have to be any evidences of your conversion. To be this automatic change in your life because it's got to be guaranteed. If you get saved, it's guaranteed you will persevere in the faith. And if you persevere in the faith, then there has to be evidence in your life that you have done one of two things. This is why so many preachers must preach. You must turn from your sins to be saved. In other words, you are a sinner. I am a sinner. So you want to be saved? You must promise that you're going to turn from your sins. This is why they got to get you committed to live a different life. Turn from your sin means stop being bad. And you. So is it wrong to teach that when someone becomes a Christian, that they should experience sanctification? They they should experience um, growth in knowledge, uh, growth in their love of Christ, growth in the spiritual disciplines. Is, is, is that a false teaching or is what Pastor Arnold is presenting here a false teaching? You must also promise to be good by making Christ the Lord and the master of your life. So you got to stop something, start something. Both is a promise to God that if you save me, I will do this. So your salvation is dependent upon this turning from your sins and making Christ the Lord master of your life. That
That is absolutely incorrect. Um, again, Calvinism, it's not Calvinism, Spurgeon says just a nickname for the gospel. It's the teaching that salvation comes by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. And so uh, the, the U in TULIP, the acronym for the five points of Calvinism is unconditional election. And it's the teaching that our salvation is not conditioned on anything that we do. We are not saved by good works. And so anyone who claims anything differently is completely distorting uh, what the classic teaching of the doctrines of grace are. And I want to say, as he's going to continue again, we're about the six minute, 20 minute mark. And I think you can see how it's going to take a long time for us to get through this. But in the initial part that I looked, that I listened to, and like I said, I think I listened to about the first 15 or 20 minutes of it. And we'll, when we get past that, we'll be in the, in the area that I haven't previously listened to. But I could tell in the background here, there is an old controversy that's not much talked about these days. And it was sometimes called the Lordship Salvation Controversy. And a lot of this centered around uh, John MacArthur, uh, who uh, had a couple of books, I think, back in the 1980s, 1990s, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus and The Gospel According to the, Pot, the Apostles, where he taught, basically, that if you become a Christian, then uh, then there will be you know, good works. You were Ephesians 2.10, uh, that, that there's going to be conversion, there's going to be change, and there's going to be spiritual fruit that is produced and uh, Christ is going to be evidenced as the Lord of your life. And there were some people who pushed back and accused MacArthur uh, of, uh, of, of, you know, arguing for some sort of works righteousness. And so this was called the Lordship Salvation Controversy. And um, there was a, a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary, Zane Hodges, uh, who was one of the critics of MacArthur's teaching, uh, coming at things from a very Arminian perspective. And uh, the emphasis in a lot of evangelicalism is not on the perseverance of the saints, that if you are truly regenerated by God's grace, you will experience sanctification. But they would stress what is sometimes called once saved, always saved, that you're saved and then there, there, there are no signs of fruit there there are no signs of uh, growth in your life and yet you're still saved so god saves people without ever uh changing them and exercising his lordship over their lives so this controversy is in the background and a lot of people who are probably listening to this are unaware of this controversy and so uh, pastor arnold here would definitely line himself up with the zane hodges type view over against the John MacArthur type of views. But let's listen a little bit further. That is a works salvation. That is not by grace. That doesn't mean that's not free. The gift of God is that salvation has nothing to do with the sins in your life or how you live. Now this blows most people's minds. They cannot. Well, you're saved when you're saved. It's not conditioned on anything that you do. But once you are converted and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. We believe the Bible teaches that you will be changed from the inside out, as we sometimes say. 
believe. You mean to tell me I can trust Christ as my Savior, have eternal life, and go to heaven when I die, and live like the devil? Yes, that's what I'm saying. You go ahead. Wow. So you can believe in Christ and trust in Christ and then live like the devil the rest of your life and still go to heaven. Um, is that a biblical teaching? This is actually, I think, a teaching that is called antinomianism. It's a teaching of uh, what would be called lawlessness. Um, the Greek word for law is namas and antinomianism is the teaching that uh, it doesn't matter how we live. Once we uh, pray a prayer, accept Christ into our hearts to use those evangelical uh, shibboleths, then, then it doesn't matter how we live. Uh, we have a sort of a get out of the hill uh, free card. Uh, and we can say, well, there was that one time I bowed my head and I closed my eyes and I I prayed the Jesus prayer after uh, the not the Jesus prayer, but the um, what do they call it? The, the, uh, the, the prayer of salvation or the sinner's prayer, along with the evangelist. And uh, uh, then I went out and never again did I go to another church. Never again did I uh, live uh, anything resembling a life in influenced by uh, the love and the teaching of Christ. And yet I'm, I can still be converted again. This is basic lawlessness. And it's interesting, um, uh, the Apostle Paul addressed this in Romans 6 verses 1 and following because a lot of people apparently in Paul's day because of his preaching of the free uh, and sovereign grace of God through Christ and salvation they accused him of being an, being an antinomianism uh, an antinomian advocate and what did he say in Romans 6 verses 1 and 2 what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so, uh, unfortunately, what Pastor Arnold is doing is arguing exactly against what the Apostle Paul taught in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. And any preacher that tells you differently doesn't understand the gospel. Now, that I got that off my chest. I want you to look at the notes there. Can a man be forced by God to accept Christ the Savior against his will and call that grace? If God gives a Wait a second. Can a man be forced against his will? Uh well, again, this is this is not understanding exactly, I think, the biblical teaching of man's state in sin. And he's assuming that there are people who are unconverted uh, who could want to follow Christ. So, but anyway, let's listen up to a little bit more. And the faith to believe, he has taken away man's freedom to choose. Perseverance must be automatic for the person God chose and the evidence man needs to prove he has really been chosen. Man's ultimate assurance cannot be God's word but man's works, because he has to look at his life to prove that he's saved. And if his life... That's incorrect. Um, we don't look at any good thing that flows out of us as being the thing that saves us. Our salvation is not conditioned 
upon any act of obedience that we do. In fact, uh, there's nothing that we can do uh, apart from faith that is pleasing in God's sight. And so this is not an accurate presentation of what uh, those who hold to the doctrines of grace believe. There's so many things that are, that are contradictory in this. On one hand, he's talking about the person who says, I'm going to heaven because of a decision I made when I was 10 years old. And he's saying that's wrong. But his teaching is the very thing that produces this because his teaching says all you have to do is trust Christ and you never have to show any signs or evidences of God having changed your life and your heart. Um but then, he, but then later on, he's saying, you have to get this right in order to be saved. He's putting a condition on salvation. So it, it's, it's hard to respond to this because there's so many things that are illogical and contradictory. It's not rationally harmonious, I guess I would say. People don't know where they're where they're going when they die because they're not converted. Uh, that's the main problem. The problem is uh, they're unsure because they're unconverted. And yes, people who are converted can have questions about assurance, and they can look at the scriptures and they can examine what the scriptures uh, teach uh, in order to gain assurance. Um, but uh, certainly, it would be incorrect to say that when someone is converted, that the Bible doesn't teach that there would naturally flow out of their lives um, the good works, the fruits of righteousness uh, within their lives. So he's big on this. He mentioned this before. Um, he accuses Calvinists of turning the faith into being fruit inspectors. But again, uh, at the heart of uh, Calvinism, which is, again, a nickname for the gospel, is the idea that we believe in unconditional election, that God's choosing of those who would be saved is not based on any merit in them. It is a sovereign work of God. It is a free and sovereign work of God. But once one is converted, yes, the Bible does teach there's an expectation of fruitfulness 
if 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 a if a tree uh, is connected, if a branch is connected to the tree, it's going to produce fruit. If the branch is cut off from the tree, the branch is going to shrivel up and die. This is Christ's own analogy uh, in John 15. And he's saying, we don't want fruit inspectors. We don't want fruit inspectors. Well, would he call the Lord Jesus Christ a fruit inspector when Christ uh, said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 18, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Now, in context, he was talking here about false prophets, false teachers. And, of course, the reason they're false prophets and false teachers is they're unconverted men. They have not had their natures changed. If their natures had been changed, then they would produce good fruit because they will have had a converted nature, a changed nature, and from it would, would flow good fruit. But because evil fruit uh, flows from them, then we can assume that they have an unregenerate nature. And so, yes, Christ <laughs> commanded, wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. And so he's accusing Christ of being a fruit inspector here. There's no evidence if you turn from your sin, and you're still living like the devil. Well, that's a sign you're not really saved. Well, what if I don't go to church and I don't read my Bible and I don't pray and I don't do the things I'm supposed to do? Well, that's a sign you're not really saved. Because if you're really saved, you're not going to want to go out here and do all those bad things. And every one of you sitting here knows you do. You say, no. Well, the it's really a sad understanding of Christianity. He just said to the congregation, all of you sitting out there know that you want to go out and do these so-called bad things. Is, should that really be the expectation we would have a, of a Christian congregation? That they still have a carnal nature, that they want to go out and do bad things? Or do they want to do because their nature has been changed? Do, do they want to go out and do the things that are pleasing to the Lord uh, who bought them uh, with his blood upon the cross? We know that you are still a sinner. You're sitting in your Christian life. We know you still have bad thoughts. We know you still do things wrong. We know you still lose it. And we can go further, but we won't. Look at the next paragraph. On the other hand, of course, we believe that Christians, even those who are saved by grace through faith, still have remaining corruptions. We don't believe in perfection in this life. We believe, as Paul taught in Romans 8, 29 and 30 again, that the last stage of the Christian life is glorification. Um. Or we might even uh, think about what the, the passage that he uh, read to us from Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse thirteen. What what happens in the life of a person who is uh, converted? Um, let, let's look back at this. But in Second Thessalonians two thirteen it says, "But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation." Through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, that there's a sanctifying work of the spirit that accompanies belief, that accompanies uh, being elected and chosen for salvation, be, being given the gift of 
salvation by grace through faith. There's also sanctification uh, by the Spirit of God. And so uh, this um, um, theology that Pastor Arnold is putting forward here is a theology that seems to lack altogether the doctrine of sanctification. I would like to give you my position of my theological position of Calvinism. This intellectual position is not of God, but of man. The following symbol across the tulip is the classic reformed five-point Calvinist viewpoint. <laughs> now, the tulip. All right, I'm going to stop if I can right here, if I can get it to stop. He's about to start an exposition of TULIP, and maybe this would be a good place for us to stop for today. Um, and it'll be interesting to look through his exposition of TULIP. Again, we have not yet gotten any exegetical treatment of Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. It tells us it should be read any other way than it should be on a plain sense reading. We've had no exposition of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We've had no exposition of 2 Thessalonians 1, 13. We just have the declaration uh, from Pastor Arnold that uh, Calvinists have misunderstood this, but he's given us no reason. Uh, he's given us no ar argumentation, no exegesis of the passages that would uh, that would convince us. Uh, he hasn't reasoned with us from the scriptures about this. And we'll see. He's got 40 minutes to go whether we'll have uh, any actual reasoning from the scriptures on these matters. Well, with this, I'm going to bring this episode to an end, and we'll look forward uh, to uh, some future episodes where we will continue this review and analysis of the five dangers of Calvinism. Till we meet again, take care, and uh, may the Lord uh, richly uh, bless you and keep you uh, through Christ and in Christ if you know him by grace through faith.